You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. to represent him but it takes an unwilling a willingness to be unpopular it takes courage courage we need men like the early disciples who would stand before the supreme court of their day and say you judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you or god and at the threat and for most of them the cost of their lives they stood their ground and they were faithful until the end Are you focused on gaining and maintaining popularity or the approval of your peers? Or are you focused on pleasing God and pointing the world towards Him? When that's your goal, you are bound to face resistance in a world that's bent against Christ. As Pastor Danny challenges us in today's message, we need to be bold as we stand up for our Savior. Our lives should stand out in contrast to a world that has rebelled against the order and design of our Creator. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 11 as he continues his message, A Witness for Christ in a Wicked World. Revelation chapter 11. We have paused in chapter 11 because I felt led to hone in on a theme from chapter 11. I don't do that all the time, but I felt led to do it, and so I trust that the Lord has led me. And it's a theme from the two witnesses in chapter 11. God has two chosen witnesses in a future time known as the Great Tribulation. And he tells us about these witnesses. They are Jewish witnesses. They prophesy in Jerusalem. And it is at a time when the spirit of Antichrist is pervasive around the world. And so for the most part, people don't like what they have to say. People don't like what they stand for, more specifically who they stand for. They are speaking truth. They are sharing Christ. They do it for three and a half years, half of the tribulation period. And then when their ministry is complete, it tells us when they finish their testimony, verse 7, the Antichrist is given power to take their lives. They are killed. They become martyrs for Christ. And the world is so elated because they have been given power during their ministry that anybody that opposes them, they have ministry similar to Moses and Elijah. They can call fire down from heaven on their enemies. That's a pretty good tool to have against an enemy. They can strike the earth with plagues like Moses did. And so the earth, the people of the world are elated when these guys are dead. 
And for three days, they don't bury them. And it says the world gloats over them. And people from around the world will gaze on their dead bodies. And we know that's television. And because they are dead and the world is so excited that these men are dead, the world has the first anti-Christmas. They send gifts to one another because they're so elated that these guys are dead. In the midst of the worldwide celebration, uh, God chooses to bring life back into their dead bodies. They stand up on their feet while their enemies look on. And then these guys hear the three sweetest words they've ever heard in their lives. Come up here. God raptures them. They are taken home, home, while their enemies looked on. So we hone in on these two witnesses. And I thought about what it means to hone in on. Here's what it means to hone in on, to move toward a goal. It means to be guided by a target. It also means to sharpen. We want to move toward a goal of being witnesses. In a world that if you have not noticed, let me fill you in, is becoming more and more anti-Christ. More and more against Jesus Christ and what he stands for. More against the truth of the Bible. And as we move closer to the second coming of Christ, the scripture is very clear that it will become worse and worse, and it will take, well, it'll take lots of things to really stand your ground. As a matter of fact, it'll take four. One is you have to be willing to be unpopular. And if you're not willing to be unpopular because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not have a witness in this world. A willingness to be unpopular. In some cultures, to give your life. So secondly, it'll take courage. Take courage. We're not there in America yet, but the day may come. The day may come. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the one to fear. We need to come to a place where we fear God more than we fear death. So it's going to take a willingness to be unpopular. It's going to take courage, courage, courage. We need men like Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that Babylon changed their names but couldn't change their hearts. Babylon, the world changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the names we know them better by. But that's not their original names. Their original names had God tied in with their names. We have God tied in with our names. We are Christians. The word means little Christ. We're to be like him. We're to represent him. But it takes an unwilling, a willingness to be unpopular. It takes courage. Courage. We need Men like the early disciples who would stand before the Supreme Court of their day and say, you judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you or God. And at the threat, and for most of them, the cost of their lives, they stood their ground and they were faithful until the end. 
So it's going to take a willingness to be unpopular. It's going to take courage. And thirdly, it's going to take, and we must have this, an eternal heavenly mindset. Every day, I try to get my head in the clouds. And as a Christian, that's a great challenge every day to realize this world really is not my home. And the challenge becomes very practical when you live in this world, but never forget you're not of this world. I mean, you got to be responsible. Uh, you have a job, uh, and there are things you can do to enjoy this life that is not sinful. I've always enjoyed sports. I enjoy catching. I don't like fishing at all, but I love catching. But the challenge is, as 1 Corinthians 7.31 says, to enjoy the things of this world but not become engrossed in them. That's the challenge. This world is not our home. Set your minds on things above, Colossians chapter 3. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For there is where your life is. It's a daily challenge. So it's going to take a willingness to be unpopular. It's going to take courage. And it's going to take a daily, a daily reminder. That's why I want to get into this book every day, to be reminded. This world is not my home. Now let's talk turkey. You say, that wasn't turkey? Well, it's going to take a willingness to be unpopular. It's going to take courage. It's going to take an eternal, heavenly mindset. But as I mentioned last week, and... We continue this week. As I thought about it biblically, there are three ways that we are to be witnesses for God and specifically for Jesus Christ in this world. Three ways. What we believe, how we live, and by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's distinct from the first two. What we believe, how we live, and by sharing the gospel of of Jesus Christ. It's my intention to get through two today, and let's talk about the third next week. What we believe. Do I believe that this book is the Word of God? And if I believe this book is the Word of God, then this is the manual for life. This book is a book of truth. And one of the things I'm called to do is proclaim truth in this world, because there's a lot of non-truth in this world. So I'm called to proclaim truth. So when I, when I read things in here um, about how to live, about how to have a relationship with a wife, about how God's ordered the family, uh, about the workplace and my responsibility and how I'm to be in the workplace and all those things. See, that, that's truth. That's doctrine. That's sound doctrine. And I have to, if I'm going to be a witness, I have to look to this book for how to live. And, and going back to the courage thing, once I, once I find truth in this book, to be unashamed of it and to be able to share it with the world that maybe doesn't want to hear the truth. I mean, my goodness, we could talk about all kinds of things. Uh, one of the things we're losing in our culture is the distinction between male and female. 
and we're losing with the distinction, lack of distinction between male and female, uh, the lack of the order of the family. Uh, so many places today, even in the church, they don't want to hear uh, wives submit to your husband's absence to the Lord. They go, that's old-fashioned, man. No, that's biblical. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, see, sin has caused all kinds of problems. And the first place it caused the problems is in the home. God's intention before sin was for the husband to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But in a sinless environment, that's a very good thing. You see? He's, he's, he's the one to protect and provide for her. He's the one to love and cherish her. And as soon as sin comes into the world, all you got to do is go back and read Genesis. And it's always, it's always fresh to me. Every time you read that story, here's Adam and Eve, and they're, they're running around naked in paradise, and it's okay. Because there's no sin. And they got clear consciences. And as soon as they, as soon as they disobey God, as soon as they disobey God, the marriage takes up, turn south. And God comes and he says, what is this you have done, Adam? And Adam has that, that answer that's still trying to be used today. The woman you gave me, it's her fault. If you'd have given me a different woman, this would have never happened. You gave me the wrong one. Make me a new one. (laughs) And he comes to Eve, and what's this you have done? Well, the devil, you see, he made me do it. No, he didn't. He deceived you, but hey. And you go, you read the story, and it says Adam was with Eve when she sinned. So why didn't Adam say, what in the world are you doing? Why didn't he take a leadership role? Why didn't he say, hey, don't do that? So things are messed up. Because of sin. But if I believe this book has the answer, has the answer, then I have to look at the truth of this book and I go, okay, if I really want my marriage to be what it's intended to be, I need to look at this book. But now to speak that in the world, I, I believe that the husband is to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. I believe wives are to be submissive to their husbands as unto the Lord. And in a sin context, that's a bad thing because the man domineers. And what was it after Adam and Eve sinned? The prophecy because of sin. Now, Eve, your desire will be for your husband. What does that mean? I'll tell you exactly what it means. It doesn't mean your desire will be for his love and affection. No. That was always God's intention. Your desire will be to act independently of your husband. That's what got you in trouble in the first place. You listened to the devil. You you got out of line, right? You got out of the protection of the leadership that God intended. You made an independent decision. And Adam's wrong too, but Eve's wrong as well. Your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. That's a negative thing. God's intention was him to be the head, but not to be a ruler. Get my shoes. Give me some grapes. I want to watch the game. (sighs) But that's what it is. That's what happens. And women feel like domineered over because of the sin in the man that he needs to get right with God and allow Christ to be formed in him so that the marriage can... Be what God intended. It's not going to be perfect, but it can be holy matrimony. 
it can't be blessed. And then when he's like a bonehead and Christ gets on him and he gets right, you know, and then, and then she, you know, acts independently. And you, you, but you keep coming back. You come back to the truth. And this is what the world needs. And this is what we need. And sometimes the witness is just not there because we haven't come back to the foundation. I mean, one of the prophecies of the end times, which we're living in and we're moving toward the time of the great tribulation. One of the prophecies is Malachi chapter four, the last book of the Old Testament. Let me read you this prophecy, which is reiterated in the New Testament beginning with the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Malachi, last chapter, chapter 4, last two verses, verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. You ever read that and wonder, why didn't they say anything about the mothers? Why doesn't it say anything about the mothers? Because when true revival comes, it starts with the father. Because he's called to be the leader. Now we're talking turkey. You know one of the things lacking in the church of Jesus Christ? Is godly fathers. You know why there's so much divorce in the church? Is because men need to get right with God. Yes, women need to get right with God. But if we had men of God who were living the kind of lives that they love their wives and they love their children and they live holy lives, the divorce rate in the church would change dramatically. Dramatically. We need men to get right with God. Now, I'm not talking about some half-hearted, wishy-washy, oh, I go to church regularly. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means nothing. Not only does it mean nothing to heaven, it means nothing to the world. It means nothing to the world. How often we attend church means nothing to us. As a matter of fact, if we're attending church often, 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 and they don't see a difference in our lives, it's actually reason to blaspheme God. And you go, look at there. Bunch of hypocrites in the church. And there's no witness. There's no witness. And when the witness begins, it begins in the home. Titus chapter 1, it's interesting that we were in Titus during the youth camp, and that's not why I go there, but Titus was sent by the apostle Paul and left in Crete. It's an island off the coast of Israel. And I don't have time to really give you all the background, but it was a godless place, godless place. But the gospel invaded the island through the ministry of the apostle Paul, and a church was birthed. And in chapter one, Paul tells Titus, you got to finish some things that were left undone. And one is the appointing of elders and elders are meant to be examples, examples. They are men, men of God called to be examples. Peter writes in 1 Peter, and he encourages the elders in the church to be examples to the flock. And then you get to Titus chapter 2, and let me just read you this section. Uh, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the book. Teach the truth. 
Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers. Ladies, I hope you take this in a positive light. You've been given the gift of gab. Don't gab gossip. Gab godly. Or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women. They can train the younger women. And one of the ways you train them is just by living before them, just by being an example. To love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled and pure. That means you're not sleeping with somebody that's not your biblical spouse. To be busy at home. Doesn't mean you can't have a job outside of the home, but your priority is the home. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands. So that no one will malign the word of God. No one will blaspheme God and say, well, you don't really live what you Similarly, encourage the young men. Is it possible for young men in a godless culture to live for Christ? Absolutely. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, to set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters. This is the workplace. To be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now, I want to put this next statement in the context of everything I just read. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that in every way they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, what's it good for? That's what he said. Just taking it thrown out. So much, so much to say in this chapter, but verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that jumped out at me in that section In every section, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's a younger person, whether it's an older person, whether it's male or it's female, in every section, every section, it says we're to live self-controlled lives. You know what's prophesied in 2 Timothy? The Apostle Paul said it's prophesied that in the latter days, men will be without self-control. That's why there's so much addiction to pornography. I know the culture, I know the culture aids it. I understand that. But you can, you can have victory over it. Otherwise, what in the world are we doing believing this stuff? You can have victory over it. There wouldn't be so much alcoholism and drug addiction in in the church if we live self-controlled lives. Self-control. Self-control. How do we become godly? And I'm going to give you in the last just few minutes where the rubber really meets the road. And it springboards, springboards from Titus chapter 1, and it's just one verse. And here's what it says, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and don't believe, nothing is pure. In fact, their minds and consciences are corrupted. To the pure, all things are pure. 
We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Danny's message in the book of Revelation. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of the messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today or would like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. We're so privileged to be able to pray for you. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we want to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect Creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Join us on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. There's much more to learn from the pages of Revelation, so we hope you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.